0: Short narratives, it's those major points in short narratives that keep the story moving. Whether a short story, a narrative poem, or an anecdote to personalize a blog post. Explosive excitement, an angsty, soul-changing crisis, or a boxed-in corner that forces an intellectual revelation. Those are perfect for the major parts or movements of our story. The opening and closing of each 1500 word scene are a poem stanza or an article's anecdotal paragraph. What do we write in the middle of those parts? Maybe this episode can help. Welcome to The Write Focus, a podcast for writers, newbies and veterans and everyone in between. We're hosted by Emma Lee with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Rooms, all from Writers Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, grab a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. Writing short narratives requires a different skill set than a novel or a long poem or a memoir does. We writers learn the basics of the major plot points and venture into these longer narratives knowing that tension can be built, not exploded into the story. Character development can be a dawning revelation rather than clear-cut, precise tags. Setting can create a verbal image rather than a quick sketch of the highlights. We understand these three requirements of short narratives, intense action, even if it's internal conflict rather than external, and those precise character tags, and those quick sketches. We accept that. Most of us land in the world we want, either the realm of long narratives or the realm of short ones. For many years, we are quite content with our chosen realm. Then our borders change, or we want to take a vacation in the other realm, just to visit, or to go questing a different writing goal. We want to flex our writing muscles. And so we should. Most writers begin in the realm of long narratives. They may not all write 150,000-word epics. They may be writing 75,000-word cozy mysteries or 40,000-word novellas in a connected series. Few writers begin in the realm of short narratives. Even poets used to concise tight poems often pursue lyric poems capturing an emotion or a thinking state. When they write narratives, they tend to sprawl into 15 stanzas rather than tightly constructed poems, no longer than four or five stanzas. Many songs that you listen to are not narrative. We might infer the story behind the expressed emotions, but few narrative songs tightly limit stanzas or lines per stanza. Emotion controls the song not the story. In the non-fiction world, writers struggle to present their anecdotes within the limitations of 12 to 15 sentences. How many articles or blogs have you read that can encapsulate the entire anecdotal narrative in that length? Not many. Short narratives are a struggle until we become good at them. We become good at them because we learn our plot points or movements. We learn the other portions in each plot part and then we practice writing those opening and closing major parts is relatively easy it's the other 500 to 800 words our middle stands and lines or sentences that give us trouble how do we know what to write without sprawling into a long story our poem or anecdote we've looked at Lester Dent's master plot formula to discover those opening enclosing elements of each of the four parts of our narratives. Lester Dent also tells us what the middle of each part needs to do. In the first 1,500 words, after our opening trouble and before the main character attempts to clear out the conflict, which only lands our main character in more and surprising difficulties, Dent gives us two jobs. Immediately after the opening trouble, our main character, our hero as Dent calls him, The hero pitches in to cope with his fistful of trouble. He tries to fathom the mystery, defeat the menace, or solve the problem. Two important words here. Fathom and solve. This requires thinking on the part of our main character. To understand what's going on and how to prevent the trouble from continuing and intensifying. Fathom and solve. This gives our main characters thought process and introduces them to our audience. We discover our main character's perspective on life, on honor and ethics, or interactions with others. Here is our opportunity to make our main character likable to our readers. A likable character at the opening of a story increases the reader's willingness to continue with the story. In poems, we get details that give us our main character's emotions, how that main character stands in the world and against the world, which is also the focus of anecdotes. The second writing we do, after our main character attempts to fathom or solve the trouble, is, quoting Dent, introduce all the other characters as soon as possible. Bring them on in action. No hiding people or things from the reader. Bring them all on stage. When we conceal people or important information, we merely perturb our readers. You might shadow or misdirect or distract from or mislead the reader about these characters. We can tuck the true clue into the red herrings. We can weave clues into the dialogue and hide them among red herrings again. We can use a list and it's tucked right in there into the list. We can create a distraction as soon as the real clue has occurred. We can create a cliffhanger. The real undisguised clue occurs, then the cliffhangers there immediately to distract the reader. We can put something out of place, and there the undisguised real clue is, but the something out of place catches the attention of our main character. Perhaps... We have a list of a whole bunch of things. But the real clue is missing. Like items in some man's pockets. He has coins. He has a couple of loose dollars. He has his wallet. But he doesn't have his keys. We can make such a big deal about the wallet. We can make such a big deal about maybe a receipt that's tucked in there among the rest of the dollar bills. That the real clue is absent, and therefore important, but only a few readers will notice its absence. We can put it in plain sight, but make the main character skim right over the top of it. These are just some of the ways that we can misdirect or distract or mislead our reader. Let's look at the first stanza and chorus of Carly Simons, That's the Way I've Always Heard It Should Be. This first part is important, for it sets the character and the story's atmosphere for the reader. Simon writes, My father sits at night with no lights on. His cigarette glows in the dark. The living room is still. I walk by, no remark. I tiptoe past the master bedroom where my mother reads her magazines. I hear her call sweet dreams, but I forgot how to dream. The chorus is... But you say it's time we moved in together and raised a family of our own, you and me. Well, that's the way I've always heard it should be. You want to marry me? We'll marry. This first stanza presents her home growing up. It's not a home, is it? The father and the mother separate from each other. The father not even speaking to his daughter. The mother calling sweet dreams, but her focus is on her magazines. We have a description of all four characters in this first part and it gives us the trouble. To our main character, marriage is extremely angst-ridden and problematic. The father is there but absent, a person obscure to the main character, disinterested in his own family. What does he think about there in the dark? Her relationship with her mother is more problematic than the hidden father. Tiptoes is a key word. The main character doesn't want to attract attention. The hyper-aware mother still notices her. She calls sweet dreams. And the main character forgot how to dream. What is it that young girls and teenage girls dream about? Romance and love. But our main character has no good example of either before her. Then we hit the chorus. We have no eagerness from our main character as she listens to her boyfriend want to be fiancé, talk about getting married. This is not a main character looking forward to a long wedded life. She's just accepting. She's drifting into marriage. Her man may argue that her parents' failed marriage is a generational thing, so she accepts this point of him. In story part two, Dent reminds us that our hero, being heroic, struggles and his struggles lead up to the conflict and trust that end this part. Quote, his writing points include a focus on character development. Dent says for us to make the reader see him, see that main character. And he says that characterizing a story actor consists of giving him some things which make him stick in the reader's mind. Tag him. What does Carly Simon do in her second stanza? Recall first that she may believe her parents' disconnection is generational. She may have accepted her wannabe fiancé's argument. It, that's a classic acceptance of the young when looking at older people. They don't feel the way we feel. They can't understand us. They are different from us. But one only needs to read people 200 or 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 years before. One of the Bronte sisters or Shakespeare. Our Aeschylus and Sophocles, our Egyptian and Chinese love poems to realize that people have not changed. Only our level of technology has changed. Here's Collie Simon's second stanza. My friends from college, they're all married now. They have their houses and their lawns. They have their silent noons, tearful nights, angry dawns. Their children hate them for the things they're not. They hate themselves for what they are. And yet they drink, they laugh, close the wound, hide the scar. The chorus after this second stanza is the same as the chorus after the first. Her friends are living the same lives that her parents lived. We have three really important lines here. Her friends hate themselves for what they are, yet they drink. They laugh. They close the wound, hide the scar. Dense instructions for the third part. Tell us that the hero will make some headway in whatever has troubled him. He corners the villain or somebody in a physical conflict. He also has three focuses for us writers. The action of the story, the atmosphere of the story, and descriptions. In the fourth part, he advises writers to get the hero almost buried in these troubles. Figuratively, the villain could have him prisoner He's been framed for a murder rap. The girl is presumably dead. Everything is lost. And the different murder method is about to dispose of the suffering protagonist. The hero will extricate himself using his own skill, training or brawn. I want to remind us of Dent's last two points for this final part or movement because Carly Simon follows his directions. That buried in trouble followed by the final twist and the snapper punchline. First, in Carly Simon's last stanza, the main character is buried in trouble. Her main character says, You say we can keep our love alive. Babe, all I know is what I see. The couples cling and claw and drown in love's debris. The final twist comes in the next lines. You say we'll soar like two birds through the clouds, but soon you'll cage me on your shelf. So the snapper is what she wants. And Simon says, I'll never learn to be just me first, by myself. That's what she wants, not a life together with someone else. In the chorus, the main character has just given up. It starts with, well, okay, those are key words. They seem like throwaways, but no, it says a lot. Well, okay, she's not going to argue anymore. She's not going to make any more logical points. She accepts it's time we moved in together and raised a family of our own, you and me. That's the way I've always heard it should be. You want to marry me? We'll marry. We'll marry. She's countered all of his arguments. He said, it's generational. We're not like him. We won't make the same mistakes. We can keep our love alive. He never answered her chief worry that she'd be caged on a shelf. Or what she truly wants, to discover herself alone, to discover the dreams that she forgot how to dream. Carly Simon has written a tragedy in these three stanza and a repeating chorus. A girl with lost dreams. The reason those dreams were lost and never regained and will never attain. We still haven't discussed what Lester Dent advises writers to know before they ever start writing the business of building stories as he calls it. And he has reminders for each story part. He claims, No yarn of mine written to this formula has yet failed to sell. With his long and successful career of 159 Doc Savage novels as well as many others, I would agree with him. I certainly found my stories improving with application of this master plot formula. That's our job for next week. Inspiration for this week comes from Somerset Mom again. There are three rules for writing a novel. Unfortunately, no one knows what they are which seems to defeat the idea of Lester Dent's master plot formula. However, he merely gives us broad guidelines. He doesn't tell us specifically what to write. That's up to us. Whether we are plotters who know every part of the story to come, whether we're pastors discovering the story as we write it, or whether we're puzzlers picking and choosing pieces to write, we craft the story ourselves. Thanks for listening to The Rock Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emily Lee from Writers, Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at AOL.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends, or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps. And you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.